सहनाभवतु सहनौभुनक्तु सह वीर्यम करवावहे तेजस्वी नावधीतमस्तु माविद्विशावहे ओम शांति 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 हे ओम मेरे डी लॉर्ड प्रोटेक्ट अस बोथ टीचर एंड डी टॉट टुगेदर बाय रिवीलिंग नॉलेज मेरे डी लॉर्ड गिव अस डी रिजल्ट्स ऑफ नॉलेज मे वी अटेन विगर टुगेदर let what we study be illuminating may we not cavil at each other om peace 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 so we've reached a milestone in our study of the katha upanishad we are now about to start part 2 part 1 with its three sections is over and now part 2 The Upanishad itself is divided into two parts, so we are in the second part now. We are about to start this. Um, in the in part one, it was uh, said that this is very subtle, and uh, therefore it requires a subtle mind, a subtle intellect to discern the truth about ourselves that we are the Atman. Now, what is the obstacle? The main obstacle, a very crucial point for spiritual practice, will be pointed out just now. in one of the most famous um, um, mantras of the kathopanishad which will start the the second um, part of kathopanishad and it is very crucial for our spiritual practice that will be pointed out now and then the chapter will go deeper into the subject of the self about ourselves as pure consciousness some very profound um, insights will be shared with us and the results what we can expect what is the outcome of that insight about ourselves self knowledge that will be discussed in detail so that's what's ahead of us very important very interesting um, and very useful for the understanding of advaita vedanta all right so what is this great insight what is this this very important mantra often quoted in many other places in vedanta and of great importance to our spiritual practice which is going to be shared now the first mantra of the second part of katha upanishad let me dive straight into it so we are in second part first section and uh, first mantra paranchikhani dyatrinatsvayambhu tasmat paran pasyati nantaratman kaschid dhira pratyagatmanam ekshat avritta chakshur amritatvam ichchan the self existent lord destroyed the outgoing senses therefore one sees the outer things and not the inner self a rare discriminating man desiring immortality turns his eyes away and then sees the indwelling self so this is the translation from swami gambhirananda um if you look at the mantra itself the word used is khani khani literally means apertures or orbs so the senses here the eyes and the ears the nose and the tongue and the sense of touch, uh, touch these are a smell and touch these are called khani here and these the sensory system is paranchi um, khani they are turned outwards they reveal their objects um 
eyes reveal forms, ears reveal sound, nose reveals uh, smell, the touch reveals various tactile sensations, the tongue reveals um, taste, uh, and so on. Um, external objects are all revealed by these senses, and they are continuously outward flowing, not only, that's very natural, they have been designed to bring information from outside, but they're outward flowing and they engage us continuously in the external world, in sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and continuously engage. Later on in the commentary, Shankaracharya will say, it's not really the problem of the senses, it's the mind behind them. The mind has this tremendous taste built up over many, uh, this lifetime and many lifetimes of being engaged in the sight, sound, smells of the external world, and it delights in them, including the pleasant ones and unpleasant ones. It, the mind has a tendency to become mixed up with the external world. Mind contemplates on the information that's been continuously dumped into it by the senses. The mind is, mind is engaged in it. So this flowing outwards is the real problem. The senses flow outwards by design. And the mind follows them. And mind not only follows, instigates them uh, to keep on chasing. The eyes like to see certain things. The ears like to hear certain things. Uh, I mean, all of these senses have a kind of autonomous intelligence built into them. And these have been programmed to continuously flow and outwards and engage us in the external world. Therefore, so what? It sounds perfectly natural. After all, senses are supposed to do this. He says, Vyatrinat, damaged, disturbed, uh, malfunction, is the Lord, the designer, Ishwara, Bhagavan, has so designed our sensory system and the mind behind it, it's a kind of damage. Uh, it's a kind of, um, uh, uh, it, it's a serious problem. Vyatrinat literally means to destroy or damage. Why is it damaged? It functions perfectly well. After all, what are the eyes supposed to do? What are the ears supposed to do? They're supposed to hear sounds and see sights and so on. No, the damage is this. Tasmat parang pasyati nantaratan. Therefore, our entire attention and information and engagement is with the external world. And in Advaita Vedanta, the external world is the world of appearances. It's, it's not the world of reality. Nantaratan. We, we are not we do not attend to, we are not aware of, we, we do not know about the inner self. You see, the world extends the external world, and that's not us. We are very clear about that. And then there is the body, but that's not us also. Um, and then there is the mind. Mind, body, and uh, external world, these are in Vedanta, these are called anatma, not self. And that's all that we are concerned with all the time that we actually are not the body minds and external world external world we are not we know but we are not the body mind that we don't know we are not even aware that there is an inner self beyond all this we are not aware of it and we are not concerned with it at all we are just engaged with the world with people with happenings in the world money relationships pleasure pain um, uh, trouble ambition um, little, little projects to engage us from, from day to day, month to month, year to year. And this is how we spend our lives. This is, he calls it, Vyatrinat, damaged. We continuously flow into the world like this, helplessly. 
Therefore, we do not see the Atman. We do not realize the Atman, which is the goal of all of Vedanta. This is a very big problem. This continuous extrovertedness, and this is by design. This is by design. <laughs> so this is this is why uh, uh, he says, Yama tells us that God has actually damaged um, our, as far as spiritual life is concerned. This is what makes spiritual life difficult, but not impossible. The ability to pull out of this and to realize our true nature is also there within us. And so the next line says, Kaschidhira, some rare individual, most people keep flowing into the world outside are extroverted. Some rare individual, Dhira here means a um, patient, heroic, heroic not in the external sense of bravery, but in a more philosophic sense that it takes up the spiritual challenge. For, for self-realization, for enlightenment, like the Buddha, for example. So, Kaschidhira, a heroic person. There are some people who can utilize that capacity for withdrawing, for turning inwards. Kaschidhira. What do these people do? Avritta Chakshur. They turn themselves inwards. Now, turning inwards does not mean turning your senses inwards, trying to hear what's going on in the body, trying to see what's going on in the skull, not like that. Instead of our attention, the problem is with the mind. Even for the enlightened person, you see, they, the senses will always reveal an external world. The enlightened person's eyes also see an external world. Enlightened person's ears also will reveal sounds and so on. But the mind is crucial. And the spiritual seeker has that kind of a mind Shankaracharya says in his commentary, who is this dhira? What is the crucial nature? Viveki. Viveki means has the power of viveka, discernment. Here discernment means discernment between what is eternal and what is non-eternal. What is real or what is not real. What is ultimately worthwhile in life and what is worthless in life. This person discerns clearly and then chooses. In the language of Kathopanishad, which was presented earlier, Shreya and Preya. It's presented earlier. Uh, Yama says, all the time, these two choices are coming before us. Uh, prayer, the pleasant. And often this, the pleasant is not the good. That which is beneficial, that which is the highest, that which is the purpose of life, that's called Shreya. And that's only one purpose of life, Moksha, enlightenment, God-realization. And prayer is this continuous flowing into the world, into its pleasures and pains, trying to avoid its pains and trying to capture some of its pleasures. That's what most of us are trying to do all the time, naturally. This dhira, this spiritual hero, has the ability, has the good sense to stop. Tries to stop. Again, the commentator says, it's like trying to reverse the course of a river, which is flowing in one direction, turn it around and change the attention back to the spiritual reality within. Not to the world, not to the body, not even to the mind. At least, first of all, withdraw from the world in, uh, and the body into the mind. You know, the meditation which was suggested at the end of the last section, how you withdraw from the external world and you know from the sensory system and sit quietly in the mind. Then you withdraw from the mind and sit quietly in the sense of understanding, the sense of I am. And from that, you shift back into uh, the witness consciousness. So this, this person who can do that is called Dhira, the one who is at least trying to do it. It's talking about us, the people who are here. <laughs> yes, 
those who are continuously flowing outwards would not be spending a Wednesday evening uh, or morning, depending on where you are, listening to an ancient philosophy. The fact that we are listening to all this and we are interested in it is we, we fall in this rare category of people who are at least making the attempt to turn inwards into our own spiritual reality. So, Kaschidhira, what does this person do? Avritta Chakshu, literally turning the eyes away or covering the eyes or turning the eyes away. Now, turning the eyes literally does not mean looking away or closing the eyes. It could mean that, but it basically means not just the eyes, but all the sense organs that for a time being at least um, the sights and smells and tastes and touch of the world do not interest me. I am turning my attention from the world outside to the body, from the body to the mind, from the mind to the intellect, from that to the witness consciousness itself. This inward turning is called Avritta Chakshu. Chakshu literally means eyes here, but it stands for all the senses and the mind also. Turning inwards, away from it, inwards. Um, what will uh, he, this, this seeker, what will they get? Pratyagatmanam Aikshat. Aikshat means saw, realized, gained an insight into. Into what? Pratyagatma. Inner self. Who am I? The real, real self, this not the not the world, not the body, not the mind. Beyond that, this inner self, which is limitless awareness and being, what is called the immortal soul. One realizes that I am this. For what purpose? What good is all this? Amritatvamichan, desiring what one should uh, make such a big attempt. You know, it's it's quite a big um, commit commitment, spiritual life. It's, the, it's what most mature people would do in life. I mean, I personally think a person is not mature unless there is a, some spiritual commitment, some spiritual interest. doesn't have to be Advaita Vedanta, though I hope it will be Advaita Vedanta, but it doesn't have to be. Even if it's devotion, if it's meditation, if it is uh, an, in any spiritual path in any religion, that shows maturity. Amritatvamichan, desiring immortality. There is no immortality in the world outside. The world is continuously changing. No immortality in the body. I just saw news report. Oldest person in the world has died. I think she was a Japanese lady, uh, quite elderly, and she has died yesterday. So oldest person in the world will die. And we, uh, no matter how long you, we live, we will have to die one day. There is no immortality in the body. And the mind is even more fleeting. Uh, she was 119. Thank you, Rick. So 119 years and she passed. Um, and there's no uh, stability in the mind. The mind changes continuously. It's a flow and stream of thoughts uh, and it changes day and night. From morning to evening, there is no stability, let alone for months and years. Uh, mind changes so much. Imagine what our minds were like when we were kids, you know, school kids. It, it will be like the mind of an alien. There will almost nothing that we will, um, you know, We'll be amused by it or horrified by what we used to think about how we spent our times then. Um, so, mind changes. There is no stability in the mind. Beyond that, the witness, there is reality, there is permanence, there is reality beyond the body-mind, beyond the world, body and mind. And beyond means inward. Inward. So, this inner reality, by realizing that one attain, 
attains immortality. One goes beyond the fear of death. In fact, one goes beyond all human limitations. Want, you know, desire, um, unhappiness, depression, fear of death, all of these are instantly overcome when one realizes, oh, I am this glorious reality. Nothing can threaten me. Everything is included in me. Included means there's nothing different from me, nothing, no second reality apart from me, the Atman. So this is the meaning. The Lord, the self-existent Lord, none other than God, Ishwara, Bhagavan, the one who has designed everything. Huh? As if, it's a way of speaking. Our sensory systems continuously beguile us in the world outside. The smart Parang Pashyati, therefore, continuously involved in external life. Nantaratman does not realize the self within which Vedanta is trying to teach us. This is a huge, simple point. We all know this. It needs to be, needs to be told to us that we, there are all these spiritual teachings available. All techniques are available. All options are always open. Shreya and prayer are coming to us both at the same time. As Ayama said, what is the beneficial and what is the pleasant, they keep coming to us both all the time. But our we keep choosing the pleasant and ignoring the uh, the good, the beneficial. We keep choosing the exciting and we ignore the, the reality. The, we keep choosing the, uh, the um, appearance and we ignore the reality. But why? The answer is given here. Because that's how our sensory system is designed. That's how our minds are continuously turned outwards and chasing the sensory system. But then what's, what hope is there? There is hope. There are people who have attained sufficient maturity, they are called dhira. The specific quality of the dhira is viveki, the spiritual discernment between eternal and non-eternal, between the good and the pleasant. This ability to discern the two, separate the two, and choose the eternal over the non-eternal. Choose the good over the merely pleasant. Choose the reality over the appearance. And this person, what practice puts a stop to this outgoing tendency? See, I, I can tell you one thing here. I have taught Vedanta again and again, and, and I keep stressing that it's perfectly possible to be, and it, one should be, entirely spiritual, rooted in Vedantic awareness in the midst of a busy life. Now I will take it back, at least for the purpose of this mantra. There is a great, great utility and point to withdrawing. Once in a while, in our lifetime, in our year, in our month maybe, and in our daily lives also, a little bit of stepping back is necessary, especially for Vedanta. Um, Vedanta requires the most amount of introvertedness, at least until you get it. Once we get it and then become stabilized in it, then this problem will not be will not affect us. The enlightened person can be happily withdrawn into samadhi, can be happily engaged in external activities. Our problem is we are not happily engaged in external activities. We are sucked into it and we are trapped by it. And we are unable to withdraw into samadhi. Our minds do, will not allow it. This is our problem. So this person practices that, sharply withdrawing. They say in spiritual life, there is a rhythm. In spiritual life, one must go away and come back. But remember, to come back, one must go away first. The Buddha went away. 
And then he came back with all that wisdom. And somebody beautifully pointed out, if you look at the daily routine of the Buddha, daily he would go away. Early in the morning, he would, become, he would start with deep meditation. In the afternoon, meditation. Again in the evening, after the day's work was done, meditation. In between, he would go out with the other monks for bhiksha, for begging, the daily round of begging. He would meet the monks and guide them. He would meet with endless visitors, you know, from royalty to ordinary people who would come to meet him. And then again in the evening and night, dead of the night, completely withdrawn. So this going away and coming back, this going away is what is meant by avritta chakshu. Sri Ramakrishna also says, the simplest instruction he would give, notice, when people asked him, so what's the way? Upai ki mashai. What, sir, what is the way for us? And householders would ask. To householders, he's telling, go away. He says, for one day or two, three days or for some more time, nijjanevas, to stay in solitude. For a short period of time, don't overdo it. But short period of time, nijjanevas or prarthana, he says. He says, pray to God, contemplate, meditate. And this is avritta chakchu. Um, and, and of course, he said sadhu sangha. Contact with you know, the sadhus, with the dedicated spiritual seekers. That makes it real in our lives. This is called avritta chakshu. And what will they realize? Pratyagatmana Maikshat realizes this non-dual infinite being, which is, I am that, I am Brahman. And the result will be, um, the purpose is Amritattva Michan, desiring immortality, desiring freedom from the cycle of birth and death. Beautiful, powerful verse. I remember that um, many, I often quote this. So years ago, I was invited to give this talk at, uh, uh, in London. Uh, it was on Gita, organized by the Indian Council of Cultural Relations, ICCR. And the program was organized by this lady who was a retired IFS officer, very um, accomplished person, scholarly. And she, I remember in her talk, just before her talk, I gave my talk. And I quoted this mantra, saying that we're continuously engaged in the world outside. We need to turn away and withdraw into our inner self, you know, not in the world, not in the body, not even in the mind. Um, the senses are continuously we are engaged in seeing, hearing, smelling. Then she stood up and she, she said, I still remember, he said, Swami has just said that we are continuously looking at the world outside. Would it be that it were true? Unfortunately, in today's world, that is also not true. We are continuously looking at our screens. If we were only looking at the world also, that also would not be bad. You know, if we're looking at other people, we're looking at nature, we're looking at the world outside. That also is not there. We have added one more layer of delusion. Our senses are engaged with a virtual world, with our screens. We're looking at screens, not even the world. So further damage has been done. Uh, it has to be reversed. Atma, the self. Shankaracharya in his commentary here, he uh, makes an uh, important quotation. He gives a very important quotation, beautiful quotation about the deep spiritual meaning of the word Atma. Atma just means self. It means I. I mean, in the Upanishads, for example, the word Atma has been used for body, has been used for mind, and has been used for pure consciousness. 
So if you think I am this body, so this is Atma. This body is Atma. In that sense, also Atma has been used. I have shared with you on occasion the story that once I went to beg for food high in the Himalayas. And this farmer, he gave me food to eat. I was this young monk at that time. This was 16 years ago. And then I'm not a good eater. So I ate a little bit. And that, that farmer said to me, I'll tell you in Hindi and then he'll translate. He said to me, Are Mahatma ji, aap to panchi jaisa khate hain. Oh monk, you eat like a bird. Pehle atma, fir paramatma. First look after the atma, then the uh, paramatma. Atma means self and paramatma means supreme self. What he meant was, and was not wrong, even the Upanishads say that, by self he meant the body. First look after the body, then you will search for your God. Um, so Atma is just a word which means I, myself, my real self or myself. Now what is the deep spiritual meaning of the word Atma? Here Shankaracharya gives a rare quotation, but an important quotation. It gives you the beautiful non-dualistic, advaitic meaning of the word Atma. I will read out the quotation. It is from the Linga Purana. It is in Shankaracharya's commentary to this um, mantra. Yachapnoti yadadatte yachati vishayan iha yachasya santato bhava tasmad atmeti kirtyate. All right. What is the Atma? Uh, it is that which pervades everything. Everything means whatever you experience in life is pervaded by Atma. It means it's covered by, there's not actually nothing other than everywhere, anything that you experience, the Atma is there. How is that possible? Well, here by Atma is meant Satchidananda. Look at it as existence. So whatever we experience, it must be existing. So, Atma is there as existence. If, even if it is, say, some, if it's a place, it is. That's why we experience it. If it's a person, that person, he or she is. That's why we experience them. Is. It could be something abstract, like the number one or two. But in some sense, that number is. That's why we experience. Even a fictional character like Harry Potter, when we talk about it, in some fictional sense, Harry Potter is. To that extent, we are, existence is there. So as existence, the Atma is that which pervades all of our experience as awareness also. This is more subtle, difficult to understand. Mm. And the, the, you know, like in waking state, it's much easier to understand things exist. Look around yourself. You're sitting in an ocean of existence. Things exist all around you. Uh, your room, your doors and walls, and even the space in the existing room where you're sitting, it exists. You're sitting in an ocean of isness. That isness is Atma. But in your dream state, notice one thing. When you are in dreaming, uh, all the things and people, even the space and the sky and the earth which you see in your dreams, they're all products of your mind. Not even products. They are your mind itself. Your mind itself has is appearing in those ways. Is it not true? So in that sense, mind, which is a conscious entity, in one sense, awareness, the aware mind has transformed into the dream world. Isn't it? Exactly like that in the waking state also. I will not argue it further. 
waking state also, this awareness which we are, this itself is appearing as our waking state. That's what Mandukya teaches. So this awareness, this existence is Atma, and it is awareness. This is Atma. It pervades all of our experience. In fact, whatever we experience is nothing other than Atma, the real you. You are only experiencing yourself. So this is the meaning of Yad Apnoti, what pervades. Pervades what? Everything. All of life. Yat Adatte, into which everything disappears. It is in this awareness, this entire universe is appearing. And into this awareness alone, everything disappears. At, at um, night, when the external waking world and the dream world, everything disappears into a uniform blankness. That blankness is nothing other than this awareness itself shining upon that blankness. Just because the, all the specificities, differences have disappeared, it seems to be a blankness. So the awareness alone shines with nothing to shine upon. That's deep sleep. That is yad aratte. The whole universe is merged, is merged into that uh, deep sleep, into that awareness. There was nothing more to be aware of. Only awareness is there. That is aratte. Not just in deep sleep. At the end of the universe, in, you know, when the entire universe is destroyed in one cosmic cycle, which is called pralaya, the cosmic dissolution. There also, no specific entity exists anymore for an indeterminate period. Even time does not exist actually there. And why talk about deep sleep? Why talk about the end of the universe? Moment to moment, this is happening. The Atman is swallowing everything. Whatever is appearing is you, the consciousness, existence consciousness, appearing as people, tables, chairs, um, uh, as space and air and earth and water, as thoughts and feelings and emotions. Where are they going? The fact is they're all merging back into awareness. They, there's a very nice word in Hindi and Sanskrit, spuran, spuran, spuran or spurti, which means an uh, effervescence. A bit like um, a coke, if you open it, it bubbles and fizzes for a while. It, so this universe is, is, yeah, that's a nice way of putting it, is the fizzing of the Atman. I coined that just now. It's not a very uh, scriptural example, but anyway, it is Spurti. So Spurti is the fizzing of, of yourself, you the consciousness. And it, where does this fizzing go away? It disappears back into, um, into, yeah, into vapor, into yourself, uh, back into the Atman. This is Adatte. Uh, it absorbs the universe back into itself very easily because the universe is nothing but it. It's, it's very easy to, for, for it to absorb itself. Then next, yachat atti, literally it means that which eats. Uh, it is this awareness alone which is the ultimate consumer. This awareness alone is the one which is seeing and hearing and smelling and tasting and touching. Uh, we are just now blaming the poor senses and the mind. Actually, you, the Atman alone, are to blame for all these activities. You, the consciousness, in connection with the mind and in connection with the visual system, you are the one who's consuming, who's seeing. But seeing is what? Consuming forms. Seeing this, this, this. You, the awareness, in connection with the mind, 
and in connection with the auditory system you are hearing but what is hearing it's consuming sound you're eating up sound you alone this awareness through the appropriate channels you alone are consuming taste and smell and touch pleasant and unpleasant you are the ultimate consumer he says yaccha atti that which consumes eats eats in a sense of consciousness which basically means experiences remember sometimes when we talk about advaita you are pure consciousness you are not the mind not the senses not the body then we get this sort of delusion that okay i am the witness and it is the mind which is uh, seeing hearing smelling tasting it's the mind which is active in the world i am the witness of all that i am not involved yes and no you are the witness you are not involved and yet none other than you is the consumer there's nobody else other than you who uh, smells eats touches tastes uh enjoys suffers you alone are there who else is there the connection between you the pure consciousness and this empirical consciousness which is the consumer which thinks i am smelling tasting touching i am thinking desiring hating this one what is the connection is the same connection as between sunlight and moonlight at night the world is lit up by moonlight true and yet the moonlight is not different from the sunlight in fact the moonlight is the sunlight reflected of the moon and used in a particular way um, to illumine the night world at night similarly our present empirical consciousness which is the consuming consciousness which we have which experiences all these things which extroverts the mind which is extroverted through the mind and senses this is nothing other than you the pure consciousness atma uh -huh. reflected of the mind the mind is like the moon the sun is like the atma the pure consciousness this is a good example in fact uh, i was reading this this very interesting dialogue between swami premeshanandji ji and swami suhitanandji ji suhitanji is the is, is our revered vice president now but uh, he was the head monk when i joined as a young novice and he was fortunate enough to serve for a long period of time very closely be associated with an enlightened master swami premeshananda so we have heard many stories and uh, but this is one which i had not heard it's been published in a book which i read just last week and that portion i read that portion so there this refers to the initial days of training of swami suhitananda by swami premeshananda ji um and i have heard this from swami suhitananda ji many years ago that the master the swami premeshananda used to drive us nuts the young younger novices day and night it would be vedantic teaching and swami premeshananda was very ill so he required very close nursing and swami suhitananda served him uh, with great devotion late at night maybe he says i am desperately sleepy but the swami needs to go to the bathroom and i have to assist him he'll slowly move to the bathroom standing in the bathroom holding on to my hand he says have you understood this carefully the five layers of the personality the physical and the vital and the mental and and swami suhitan ji would say that it grown and he said not again i said yes 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 i have understood it but he was intense because for the the for swami premeshan ji it was real 
and he was desperate let this young person at least you know make this breakthrough as long as i am here i can help him do it once he gets it so one of these instances was is recorded in that uh, art, that uh, bit i read last week which i had not heard earlier beautiful there swami premeshanda tells swami swetananda ji um, is he says so tell me have you understood the difference between chit and chetana chit and chetana if you have understood this i can die in peace chit and chetana chit means pure consciousness and chetana means this empirical consciousness which we feel right now all of us we feel it when we say we are conscious this is the consciousness which we feel that i am aware uh, i i am listening to you swami i think i am conscious i'm thinking i'm remembering i'm trying to understand i feel here i'm sitting in the chair so this is i feel this this is called the reflected consciousness or chidabhasa or empirical consciousness the transactional consciousness which which we all have all the time this is what consciousness studies is studying today in uh, uh, you know uh, the subject consciousness studies they are studying this and what is chit pure consciousness which atma which is vedanta is trying to teach us and what is the relation between the two it is exactly like sunlight and moonlight it's trying to see the moonlight and from that and trying to understand grasp the sunlight and the swami is swami premeshan ji is saying if you can understand the difference between the two i will die in peace because if you can understand the difference and this applies to all of us if you can understand the difference between the two you are just one step away from enlightenment just one step away why is that possible why is why would you be one step away from enlightenment because it's not a you know like a speculative matter not like a subtle concept of philosophy if you get it good if you don't get it it really doesn't matter no this pure consciousness is you and you are continuously shining it's just that we don't see it this is called ignorance that continuously it's the open secret which is blazing forth all the time we don't see it if i can this, what 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 we do see is the reflected consciousness we are aware of that constantly if we can begin to distinguish between the two chit and chetana pure consciousness and this empirical reflected transactional consciousness if we begin to see we will get it it will just take a second a split second the next moment you will see oh i am that it may take some time after that to stabilize and some time after that to manifest it in life but you will get it immediately you will get peace and the old swami can now die in peace so uh so that was really i really like reading that and this is what is being pointed out yatcha atti it eats what do you mean pure consciousness eats pure consciousness does not eat correct but it is none other than the pure consciousness which through the reflected reflection in the mind and the senses which is consuming everything in the world which is our daily life what does it eat vishayan iha he emphasizes objects which objects here here it it consumes uh, cookies and coffee it consumes sound it consumes sights uh, it consumes um, um, touch and smell objects are being consumed continuously by this consciousness that is atma then finally yasya yachasya santato bhava and that which is being itself 
which is constant being all things in this universe including our own bodies our lives they depend on this atma for existence that's why there's a new term being used in neo vedanta circles these days which i like very much it's they use the term presence for this atma presence is a good word why because presence has connotation of two things presence means existence it also means awareness when you say i feel a presence here you don't feel a presence you are the presence it is this presence which gives light to the universe but also existing to the universe existence so yasya santato bhava the continuous existence upon which all temporary existences depend um when swami premeshan ji says if you can understand the difference between chit and chetan i will die in peace to that i will add if you can understand the difference between being and existing things if you can understand the difference between bliss and temporary pleasures and you can understand the difference between pure chit and chetan pure consciousness and empirical consciousness then the swami says i can die in peace it's the same thing if you can understand the difference between chit and chetana if you can understand the difference between in sanskrit sat and bhava padartha that means pure being and existing things existence and existing things there's a german philosopher who did a lot of thinking about this heidegger and between this ultimate fulfillment ananda and little little pleasures which we chase in this world if you can understand the difference between it's exactly the same difference and this sat this chit this ananda is the same one thing only and that's you it's not a thing it's you the moment we understand it we are it nothing more remains to be done because we are it already the moment we understand what it is it will say oh i am this that is the meaning of aham brahmasmi very good all problems solved so this is atma tasmat atmeti kirtyate thus this reality ultimate reality is sung of glorified as atma i'm quoting i'm just explaining the verse which shankaracharya quotes from the linga purana this is the deep spiritual meaning of the word atma simple meaning i myself it could refer to body to mind to pure consciousness but what is the deepest spiritual meaning atma that which pervades that that into which the all of everything disappears is absorbed that which eats all objects here that which gives existence which is eternal existence which gives existence to everything objects time space everything therefore this reality is called atma is glorified as atma what a magnificent um definition of the atma a little more then we will move on so this turning inwards does it mean then let me just put up stunning sudden stop to everything sit down quietly withdraw close my eyes like the buddha said i will sit in meditation here let my body um, wither away ihasane shushyatu me deha let in this asana my body wither away but i shall not get up from this meditation seat without bodhi without realizing the ultimate reality like that not so fast all these sadhanas our karma yoga bhakti yoga and meditation dhyana yoga all are meant for this avritta chakshu the turning away 
You might say karma yoga will engage us in the world. How is it turning away? It is turning away. Our real problem are not the eyes. That eyes are open. That's our problem. No, no, no. Our real problem is the mind behind it. And the selfishness of the mind which wants to draw pleasure, money, success, praise, love from the world to this person, this little thing. It's selfish grasping of the mind. That's the problem. That's reversed by a selflessness, karma yoga. The selfless mind can settle down in meditation very quickly. So the person may be engaged in tremendous activity, but as long as it is selfless activity, karma yoga, that person can meditate. In contrast, a person may stop all activity in the name of meditation. I'm withdrawing. Upanishad has told me, avritta chakshu, turn away your vision, shut your eyes. I'm going to shut my eyes to the world. Sit quietly. Mind will bubble with desires, will boil over with desires. Because it's, it's just stuffed in there, layer after layer of conditioning. I'm reminded of a classic example. Swami Vivekananda's two disciples, Nishcharananda and Kalyanandaji, who went and established a hospital in uh, Kankal, in, in uh, Haridwar. So there's a big Ramakrishna Mission Hospital there now, but it is, they started in a very small way. These two Swamis, they went there and they looked after the sick people, especially the Swamis who became sick, and there was nobody to look after them. Uh, so they worked very hard including actually physically lifting up sick, sick people and bringing them to the hospital, cleaning their uh, stool and urine and blood and pus and getting medicines and treating them, dressing their wounds. Hard work, dirty work throughout it to the extent that the other monks shunned them and called them bhangi sadhu, sweeper monks. You know, in a strict caste system, people would look down upon people who did the dirty work of society. And so these monks are people who are doing dirty work and so other monks would see we are superior. But the life these two led, uh, later on, uh, other monks who went to help them said, we are amazed. Backbreaking work throughout the day and in samadhi throughout the night. Sitting in deep meditation, absorbed in God throughout the night. Incredible life. Which means engagement in work is not the distraction. The distraction is in the mind. Selfish, selfishness is the distraction. Self-seeking is the distraction. Then bhakti. One might think then thinking about God, bhajans, kirtans, that is also a distraction. It's the scatteredness of the mind. It's not turning inwards. No. Our desires are that which pulls out to the world. If we collect the desires and focus it on God, it may be that you are focusing on God, but God is our innermost reality actually. So you are focusing inwards. One Swami gave a beautiful example. Isn't somebody would say, Upanishad says, Avitta Chakshu, turn your sight inwards. But when you are reading a book, attending a class, looking at the Swami, Zoom uh, meeting, aren't you looking outwards? So aren't you, by just by reading Vedanta, are you not uh, disturbing your mind? Huh? No. The Swami gave a beautiful example of the mirror. When we, our eyes are open and we're looking at the mirror, we, it seems we are looking at something external. But the mirror is reflecting our face back to us. We are actually looking inwards at our own face. What the Upanishad does, what Vedanta does, is it provides a mirror for our inner reality. Look, what we are studying here is our own reality. Instead of doing this, if you just sit quietly, your mind will either fall asleep or run in a hundred different directions. So Vedanta is the mirror which helps us to turn our vision inwards. 
So just vision inwards does not mean just sitting quietly with eyes closed. It means selfless activity, karma yoga. Very helpful. It means devotion, bhakti, love of God, not love of the world. And it means um, Vedantic inquiry uh, into the self. And of course, it means actually shutting your eyes in meditation regularly morning and evening. Physically, shutting down the um, movement of the body, the, the vibration of the senses, and the continuous uh, you know, fizzing of the mind, uh, shutting it down. So that actual shutting down the eyes also is included here. All four yogas are meant by avritta chakshu, turning the eyes inwards, turning the vision inwards. Good. Now, let me go on to the next one. The same theme. That's why I want to complete two together. Yama. He tells Nachiketa, Paracha kaman anuyanti bala te mrityoryanti vitatasya parsham athadhira amritatvam viditva dhruvam adhruveshu ihanatprathayante so unintelligent people follow the external desires, they get entangled in the snares of the widespread death. Therefore, the discriminating people, having known what true immortality is in the midst of impermanent things, do not pray for anything here. He's giving us a follow-up, consequences of what happens. Here in this uh, mantra, the first one, he says, Parachakaman Anuyantivala, children, immature people. They keep running after external things. Basically, he's saying people don't learn. People don't learn. It's the rare one who learns. Most people, as I always say, what is the, what is the result of chasing samsara? Two things. First of all, um, either you will get things which you want or you won't get what you want. If you keep getting things which you want, the result will be dissatisfaction. No one um, getting what they have wanted in life has ever reported permanent, lasting, deep satisfaction except the enlightened ones. Except that one case, nobody else in the world has said, I have got what I wanted and it's great. There's no problem at all. And I would thoroughly recommend it to everybody else. Yes, go and uh, you know eat uh, as many burgers as you want, go to as many parties as you want, and buy as many gadgets as you want. And when you get all these, you will be deeply, deeply fulfilled. The advertisements are gospel truth. Nobody has ever said this. So getting what we want does not lead to um, deep, any kind of deep lasting fulfillment. That's why I feel sometimes it's easier to understand these things in a first world country and economy like this. In, um, in a poorer place, if a person is poor, or at least the standard of living is not too, not as high as, say, uh, in countries like this in the United States, one may have the inner feeling that if I could, you know, live in a place like that and work in a place like that and earn money like these people, then I would really, really be happy. No, it doesn't work like that. If you if you do get it, you'd still be disappointed, and if we do not get it, we'll be frustrated. I have many desires and I did not get them. We're frustrated. These are the only two, the only two results of samsara. Disappointment, frustration. There's no third uh, alternative possible. And the, so this is, if we chase samsara, these two are the only alternatives. And 
Uh, another second thing is by chasing samsara, what happens is it becomes habit for me. It becomes addictive. Uh, we are we no longer have independence. Um, Sri Ramakrishna says, he says, he says, I saw these old people who had retired and sitting, they were playing cards. And I said, isn't it time to start calling on God even now? Isn't it time? So it's a typical sight you can see in the villages in India. You know, they, it's a very relaxed kind of life. So people are sitting around in the afternoon and evening playing cards just to pass time. And Sri Ramakrishna says, isn't it high time to start calling on God? That means death is at your door. Old age, disease and death are there in front of you now. No, isn't it time? Um, now it, it won't work because this engagement with the world is so addictive and so independence destroying that at that age, if someone wants to start, very difficult. There's an inertia which has built up. And one can only at that point watch the sit and watch TV in the earlier generation, which see grandparents sitting with a radio. They would be those old transistor radio sets, would sit and listen. At least that was not as dis distracting. Then came TV. Now there's internet. And what do people, you know, they criticize the new generation for internet addiction. I see many oldsters are deeply, uh, they're all on the screens. Sometimes it's more addicting to older people than to younger people who have grown up with it. Those elderly people who have not become addicted to it, you're happy. And uh, you are blessed, don't get addicted. So it becomes difficult. There is an inertia. Uh, of being, uh, you know, addicted to this world. Sri Ramakrishna gives another example. Uh, the camel, it eats thorny bushes in the de desert and its, its gums bleed. And yet it goes on eating that. So there is pain and there is dissatisfaction. Not knowing any better and habituated and addicted to this, one keeps on doing the same thing. Patterns of behavior, patterns of consumption. That is just be repeated, especially as we get older, it's very difficult to change it anymore. So when these good impulses come in our life to study, to meditate, to be devoted, we should act on it immediately, vigorously. Um, so people don't learn. And Shankaracharya here says, he comments on this. External objects, balaha. Uh, men of little intelligence, childlike. Bala means childlike. Uh, childish. Childlike is good. It's good to be childlike. It's not good to be childish. So these childish people are childish inclinations. They chase. Kaman anuyanti. Uh, anuyanti means follow. They chase. They are up and doing to keep on you know, adding more activities, more engagements, more possessions. Um, more achievements in the world outside. Then, what's the problem? One is living a full and engaged life. Brityuryanti vitatasya pasham. Who is saying this? Yama, the lord of death. And he's warning a stark warning. Such people will go from death to death. What a terrible warning. Death awaits, awaits. I await such, such people. So, that means that the cycle of life and death will not cease. Driven by desires, plagued by dissatisfaction and frustration, what will happen to such people? They will um, die with unfulfilled desires and their karma will propel them into newer and newer uh, uh, activities, newer lifetimes. 
to repeat similar cycles. Vitatasya Pasham, the widespread network of death. What is this widespread network of death? Shankaracharya uses his favorite phrase, avidya kama karma, ignorance, desire, and desire-prompted action. Ignorance, I do not know the Atman, the glory of which we spoke about earlier. I don't know that. I just think I am this little creature. Then what happens? Desire comes. I'm a little creature. Subject to death, I struggle to live. Subject to disappointment, I struggle to entertain man, myself and make myself happy and fulfilled. I'm driven by temptation and fear. This is karma. And then I, this desire-prompted action is karma. And karma gives rise to results. Causality, I set the terrible wheel of causality in motion. Moment I set into motion, actions have consequences. And these consequences are spread across lifetimes. I'm seeing the results of that right now. So this is what, this is the widespread network of death. And this is my network, um, Yama says, I, I will catch them. Um, these are the ones who will be caught and they will go from death to death. Except the dhira, the, the wise, patient, spiritual heroes I spoke about, um, us here, who realize the immortal self, amritatvam viditva, having realized, what do they find? Dhruvam adhruveshu, They find the undecaying, unchanging in the midst of the decaying and changing. All things decay, all things pass away, all things are subject to change and transience. Classic Buddhism. And he says, here is that, that nature, that reality. Buddhism also says this, but it will not say it positively. If you ask a Buddha, a Buddha so if you ask a Buddhist, so what about the Buddha nature? Is it decay and pass away continuously? No, it doesn't. So the Buddha nature, the ultimate reality, which is your own self according to Advaita Vedanta, your innermost reality, the Atman, that doesn't decay, that doesn't pass away. They realize this. Where do they realize it? Here, here, in the midst of all that is changing, in the midst of all that is decaying, in the midst of all that is disappointing and frustrating, they realize that. And then, consequence, they go beyond desire, it says. How interesting. They do not um, desire anything in this world anymore. They, they have nothing to gain from this, uh, anything in this world. What a coincidence. Just um, a couple of classes ago, we were referring to the razor's edge. And uh, today, an article has been published in one of the uh, print, uh, internet media, one news website, about Somerset mom going and meeting Ramana Maharshi. It's a well-known incident, but this is just a recent article. It talks about how in the movie, two movies were made based on the book, Razor's Edge in Hollywood. And then one of the characters in the movie, of course, in the book, of course, was Ramana Maharshi. She was called Sri Ganesha in that, in that book. By the way, it's not mentioned here, but in the book, if you see, um, Larry, the, the character, he meets a Swami from the Vedanta Society. He was the Swami at that time who was in charge of the Vedanta Society of Chicago in those days. All right. Uh, let's quickly take a look at the chat. Abhijit says, can the description of the Atman as that which consumes be related to Ananda from Satchidananda? 
Anand Leta, that which who enjoys. Yes, but here that which consumes means Vishayan Iha, it says. Every object of experience is experienced by the Atman, but through the mechanism of mind and senses and all. Atman does not consume anything, and it's none other than the Atman who consumes everything, because there's no other consciousness to consume. Then Shivani says, what would be the line of inquiry to make the distinction between empirical consciousness and pure consciousness? Are there particular questions, for example, I have spiritual teachers asking questions like, what is hearing those words and what is looking out through the eyes? Are these questions that lead to towards the recognition of pure consciousness rather than empirical consciousness? Yes, but the traditional methods of inquiry, Drigdrishya Viveka, Panchakosha Viveka, Avastatraya Viveka, I know of, know of no other methods which are more powerful than these. Just follow the first verse of the Drigdrishya Viveka and the six methods of meditation at the end of Drigdrishya Viveka. I've taught all this in, in the series of 12 lectures on Drigdrishya Viveka. Or the Panchakosha, the five layers of the human personality. Uh, the, uh, in the cave of the heart, I've given a talk there. More than once I've taught that from the Taittiriya Upanishad. That's also an inquiry which takes us from the empirical consciousness to pure consciousness. And it cannot, nothing can take you there. It can be pointed out. Then you have to grasp it intuitively. There are many, many such ways of pointing out the uh, pure consciousness using the empirical consciousness. In fact, in Vijnana Bhairava, the Kashmiri Shaiva text on meditation, 112 meditation techniques are given, dharanas. Many of them, not all, but many of them are tricks, basically tricking our empirical consciousness to orient itself towards pure consciousness. Yeah, I can put it that way, to orient or reorient itself towards pure consciousness. And there are tricks, you know, tricks like, for example, um, you have to you lie down on a, say, a grassy field, and in this meditation requires open eyes. And you look up into, if there's a vast blue sky, it helps if there are no clouds. Now just notice this vast blue luminosity without any feature whatsoever. Focus fiercely on this endless blue above you. It is just space and luminous space. Now, close your eyes and drop that vast blueness. You have to focus fiercely on that vast blueness until that moment comes when nothing, everything else has been purged from your mind. Just endless vast blueness. Drop it. When you drop it, instantly there'll be a blankness. Drop that blankness. Then there's no way of expressing what will happen then. Um, but that, that's just a way of tricking, you know, exhausting or emptying out empirical consciousness from all its contents. And then trying to make it notice the luminosity which pervades it. Just like the vast space is pervaded by light. Sky is pervaded by light. Your mind is the space pervaded by consciousness. It's a, it's a way of tricking the mind into trying to see what Vedanta is trying to say. That's one, one technique. And there are many such techniques. Patrick, in his name and form, superimposition is the same concept as borrowed existence. Exactly. 
superimposition of name, form, and, and activity also uh, is, is, is what enables borrowed existence. A simple example would be clay. But when you give it a form of a pot and call it a pot and put water in it, um, you are superimposing name, form, and activity. But the clay remains clay. And that's true of this world, everything in this world. Shravani. How to understand the practice of merging the mind into intellect? Does the intellect he here include ego, the empirical I, what you said about Chetana, moonlight? The mind into intellect, uh, this is related to the meditation technique with which we, uh, which came at the end of the last section. Yachet, Vang, Manasi, Manasi, Niyachet. So the merge the speech into the mind, the mind into the intellect, that, that one. There, for the intellect, think of I am. This distinction has been pointed out by Vidyaranya. Those who remember, remember it, the speech has to be merged in the mind, which means from our talking, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, being, I just become a thinking being. Sit quietly in the mind and quickly stop the thinking into I am this. I am. And drop all the, um, the adjectives to I am. I am meditating. No, I am. Just I am. And then bring in the idea that this I am is constant in all sentient beings. I am Sarvapriyananda meditating is only this being. But I am is common to all the 81 beings who are in this meeting. All of us. All of us have the same I am. The moment you add something else, then it becomes a particular intellect. But when you have just the general I am, that is called Mahat. Where do I get this distinction? It's from Vidyaranya. Vidyaranya makes this distinction. When you, when you move from the individual I am to the cosmic I am, that was the distinction where, which, which the Upanishad made, if you remember that meditation technique. From there, move on to the witness of the cosmic I am, which is awareness. But that can, can never be... I can't show it to you. You have to intuitively see, realize, because that's you. That's basically the real you. It's called Shantatma, the Atman, which is the self, which is peace. Very beautiful name was given in that meditation technique. Shantatma. Where every distinction, every quality is extinguished. If the mind is convinced that it is just a drishya itself and is irrelevant, is there anything else that needs to be done? No, nothing else that needs to be done. But moment it mind is convinced that it's a drishya, it will also be aware of it's a drishya to what? And once that is clear, nothing else needs to be done. But also at that point, I'll say this is the Sankhyan insight, consciousness and everything else. But then the oneness which Vedanta talks about, that also should be clear. Neela Boraji says, how to explain the precognitive dreams or visits in dream by departed relatives or friends? It's not an activity of our minds. It's an activity of the cosmic mind. Still, from a Vedantic perspective, not interesting. This is again a, a, a tendency of the mind to be interested in objects, you know, interesting objects, interesting happenings. These are subtle happenings in the mind, but we are interested in that. No. Who is the one which is interested? 
Shiva pray if someone is engaged in selfless charity work in order to save the poor, if the thought goes out to solve those problems, such thought comes during meditation, is disturbing, turning inside? Yes, maybe, only temporarily. This is far easier than a self selfish mind, which is too much concerned with one's own little problems and issues. A compassionate mind can be of a deeply meditative mind. Kalpana says, I understand the joy of deep sleep for transactional Atma. How to think of Ananda of pure consciousness. I'm not going to talk about that here. I have talked about that a few times. In search of bliss. If you want the text, the text is the Ananda Mimam Sain Daitiri Upanishad. Extensively commented upon by Shankara and others. Uh, in Daitiri Upanishad, second chapter, the end of the second chapter. It's called the calculus of bliss. So there, what is empirical bliss and what is pure bliss? Exactly the same connection between empirical consciousness and pure consciousness, chitta and chetana, between empirically existing things and pure being. Same difference. Gaurav says, in Advaita Atma Paramatma 1, when Paramatma term is used as Atma referred to ego, red hot iron Rigdisha Vivek and Paramatma refers to pure consciousness, um, Atma and Paramatma. Atma is, see, there are two meanings. The direct meaning and the implied meaning. The direct meaning is usually this person, which is um, pure consciousness mixed up, limited by ego, mind, body, and so on. That's what we call the Atma. Pure consciousness distinguished from ego, mind, intellect, body is what is meant by Paramatma. Yeah, more can be said about it, but I will just refer you to the analysis of the Mahavakya, the analysis of the great statement Tattvamasi, as you find in, in the Vedanta Sara. Uh, I have um, extensively given classes on that. The author, Louis Burst, figured out that the character of Larry in the Razor Sage was based on Sri Ramana devotee named Alan Chadwick. Oh, I didn't know that. That's very interesting. Ramya says, Swamiji, is the I am for Mahat a necessary step or can we go from the I am individual to blankness to awareness? We can. But you run the danger of uh, um, that Sankhyan isolationism. I am, then you will not know that I am the witness, this pure consciousness, the Shantatma, is the Atma of all beings, is the Atma of that cosmic I am, not just individual, this person's Ramya's own I am. Then you will get the feeling there are these 81 consciousnesses here in this Zoom meeting. But if you say that one I am common to all beings and that I am witness is consciousness itself, then um, it, it is the consciousness behind all beings. It's the light radiating through 81 different body minds. Yeah, so it will be Advaita. See, the Advaitic approach is this. I was listening to a a talk by a traditional monk in, in, in Himalayas, he says, to think that there is no Atma and Paramatma, there is no God, there is no immortal soul, to be skeptical like that, he says, it's foolishness. <laughs> so that's the state of many people. That's the spiritual immaturity I talk about. Then the second stage is conventionally religious. He says, there is a world, I am there, we are sentient beings, and there is a God behind everything else. God, world, and individual being. This, he says, is the conventionally religious perspective of the dualistic Vedanta school. Then he says, you go further. 
that God alone is actually this world and us individual beings. So God, Brahman, has been transformed into all of this. So everything is pervaded by divinity. That is the perspective of Vishishta Dvaita, Shuddha Dvaita, Dvaita Dvaita, these other schools of Vedanta, which are not strictly dualistic, which are quasi-monistic, let us say, in between, qualified monism. To think that the Shiva nature, pure consciousness, which is none other than I, has been transformed into this world. I alone have become this world, this Kashmiri Shaivism. That I, by the, by the principle of spanda, vibration, it is consciousness alone which now vibrates out as mind, as life, as body, as matter, as space and time. This is Kashmiri Shaivism. Then what is Advaita? Advaita is that all of this is not. Awareness alone is. This is Advaita. This is strict, uncompromising non-duality. The appearance of the all is not denied. But it is this pure consciousness alone which appears, has not become all of this, has not been transformed by vibration or otherwise, and is certainly not a separate reality. So this, on this grand theme, let's conclude. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu